You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. And God, we come to you and we hear stories of that, stories of your redeeming love, the story of revival, the story of redemption. And God, even since that recording was made four years ago, we see how our world has become even more of a disaster. And even within your church, God, we are seeing so much happen in these days. And God, we would pray that you would revive your work in the midst of the years. And God, we even come to you today and we confess to you our self-sufficiency, our busyness, our distractions, the way that we become satisfied and inundated and obsessed with lesser things, how we settle for success without presence, how we settle for the mundane and the lukewarm when, God, you have higher heights for your church, for your children. God, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to seek you? Would you teach us to yearn after you? We thank you for the victory that we have been singing about this morning. The victory on the cross that came and the victory that one day will come when we see you face to face. But until then, God, we have our work to do. And we have a relationship to pursue. And God, would today be an amazing work of your spirit in each one of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, as we continue on here in this little mini-series called Repent, Return, and Revive. And I believe just such a timely um, teaching and a timely um, just you know, time spent in God's word in these days. And uh, Exodus 33. I, I wonder today, if you were to be honest, and it's a good idea and a good thing to be honest, how many of us would admit, I stink? Now, now your, your wife or your mother might say that to you, um, but, but I'm not just talking, I'm not talking to older, I'm talking about, I stink when it comes to prayer. I struggle when it comes to prayer, and, and, and I'm just not very good at it, and, and, and you would maybe even admit today that I, I try really, really hard, and I've just come to the conclusion, this prayer thing is just not for me. I'm just, it's not my thing. Now, give me a hands-on project to do, or give me something to read or study or to teach or, or something like that, but, or, or let me serve in some area. I'll even serve with kids if I need to. Or, or allow me to roll up my sleeves. I, I'm there 100%, but prayer? Not really my thing. That's for others. And I'm sure that we have all, you've been in this place as I have been, we've been guilted by the statistics about how, on average, how little Christians actually admit to praying on a daily basis. Or even more ashamedly, perhaps, even uh, the statistics on pastors, on ministry, people involved in the work of the church, how much prayer goes on in our own daily lives. 
Now, now guilt can be a good motivator. Well, for the short term, it gets some short-term results, not usually all that long-lasting. It's kind of like when you go to the dentist. And, and you go there, and they're cleaning your teeth, and they're giving you the warnings, and they show you the pictures, and they tell you what's going to happen to your teeth if you don't floss. I mean, we all get, get scared into flossing, don't we? I mean, and it lasts, what, a few days, a few weeks, and then the guilt, you know, kind of wears off a little bit. Or perhaps... When it comes to prayer, you've been challenged by a sermon, and you know maybe it's it's from a book or from a seminar that you went to, and and or maybe you've read biographies of great men and women of faith who would get up at 4 a.m. and pray for one or two or three hours before they even began the rest of their day. And perhaps you've even thought, I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to emulate them. I'm going to follow their example. And so we get all motivated and get all ready to pray, but after you get up early in the morning, you get up at 3.30, you get up at 4 or 4.30, whatever time it is, that you're like, I'm going to do this. And after 10 minutes, you've prayed for everyone you know, and you've prayed halfway around the world, and you don't even know what to pray for after that. Or maybe you would say, you know what, Melvin, I'm just, I'm flat, I am too busy to pray. I've just got so much going on and, and there's just no time for it. And I say to that and I say to myself, really? 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 That's the excuse we're going to come up with? I, I like what John Piper said, look at this quote. One of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness will not was not from a lack of time. Look when that was written, 2009, that he tweeted that. Since that time, 12 years ago, basically since he wrote that, add to that today the popularity and the busyness of Netflix, of Instagram, of TikTok, of, of Parler, of YouTube, of Telegram, of online shopping, and the endless scrolling that goes on and on. Or maybe you might even kind of ask yourself, well, why should I pray? Why should I be a person of prayer? I mean, does prayer even actually work? I've tried it and it's just like nothing or God hasn't answered my prayers. And, and, and perhaps maybe even you've kind of reasoned it to, well, doesn't God basically have everything decided already? He knows the outcome, so what's the point of praying? Well, I think we could all probably fit into some of these different categories. One of the six convictions we have as a church is fervent prayer. And that we would live out Romans chapter 12, verse 12, which says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Fervent in prayer, unceasing in our prayer. Or today as we're even talking about it, about being unsatisfied in prayer. Unsatisfied when it comes to prayer in our lives. Oh, that there would be a holy discontent for more prayer in our lives, more of the presence of God, more of His glory. And yet, we so oftentimes just settle for a 30-second little check-in with God. Maybe it happens a number of times throughout the day. But that time where we set aside to be alone with God. Maybe God just becomes like the 911 person on the other end of the 911 call when we're in trouble. Or maybe we kind of see prayer as a Santa Claus just ready and willing to give gifts to and gifts and presents to his people. But oh, that we would desire more time with him. We would be unsatisfied in prayer. 
that our prayer lives would be growing and deepening, that we would experience more, more of his presence, more of his glory, more of his spirit, more of his power, more of his peace, more of his strength, more of his wisdom. And this is all available to us as we seek him in prayer. And in Exodus chapter 32 and 33, we see different levels or different types of prayers that Moses prays. And prayers that, and and these prayers radically changed Moses and radically changed the outcome and the future for God's children. And our hope is that we too, as we take God's word and as we study it here today, that we would be changed by learning and applying God's word into our lives. We saw last week that Moses had left the camp. He pulled away from the distractions and he pitched, pitched a tent and it was called the tent of meeting. <clears throat> now it was believed that, that it was probably on a hill or, or something like that, but it was outside the city. Well, this past week we called people to come to the church office here and, and we called it our tent of meeting. We asked you to come to escape the distractions to upset the normal and, and, and take specific time to meet with God. And a good number of you came. <clears throat> Some of you came on your own. Some of you came together with your small group, even though it was a time for personal prayer and reflection. But many of you said it was a beautiful time to meet with God. And whether in, you were in a room with others or praying by yourself, or maybe you weren't able to come here and you were praying and taking this time seriously, to quietly meet with God. So thankful for that. I think it's been up long enough. We want to continue with the tent of meeting this next week. And I encourage you to come. Just the church leaders at the end of this week said, you know what, we're just kind of getting started when it comes to this and we need to keep praying. And so I would encourage you to please read carefully the communication that comes that will be sent out once again in the e-news early this week so you can prepare in advance and come prepared to pray and we trust to meet with God. And again this week, if you're unable to join us in person, there are ways that will be outlined in the e-news about how you can be involved and I encourage you to do so. Don't just say, well, I can't come or whatever it is. No, you can still be involved and there's ways that you can do that. This week, while our tent of meeting was going on, we even had an RCMP member drop by. Yeah, it happened. He uh, was responding to a complaint that was received, and I was able to show him, show the member the the area that was set up here, as you just saw in the picture a few moments ago, and and, and showed him and, and explained to him what we were doing and how we were encouraging our people to come and to pray. I told him how that part of our prayer focus was also praying for those in authority, and that included the RCMP that God has placed in authority over us. Well, he saw that what we were doing completely complies with the health orders that have been laid out, and he was actually encouraged by what we were doing. And I would encourage you that no matter what you feel, or what you think about your own personal prayer life, whether it stinks right now, whether it's non-existence, whether it's a struggle, or maybe you're knocking it out of the park, would you join us this week as we seek God together? And last week we saw what was taking place in Exodus 33. Moses was praying inside the tent, outside the camp. Meanwhile, the Israelites, about two to three million of them approximately, stood outside their tents inside the camp, watching 
what was going on with Moses in the tent of meeting. And they stood there as Moses was in the tent. And as the cloud came down representing God's presence and God visiting and God talking and communing with with Moses. And the people stood there in silence and quietness. And they stood at the, at the entrance of their own tents and they, they looked towards where Moses was in his tent and, he worship, and, and they worshipped and they prayed and they waited. You see, God had told Moses that they were about ready to enter the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey, just as he promised. And this should have been exciting news. And he said to them, I will send my angel to drive out the inhabitants and, and this land, it's going to be yours. You will inhabit the, the promised land just as I promised. Now this sounded like such good news. And, and yet it caused Moses and the people to be in incredibly great distress. Which, which caused this dramatic scene that I just described to you. Moses in the tent outside the camp. The people outside their tents inside the camp. And they were worshiping and waiting and they were praying. They were distressed because God had told them, You're going to be successful. You're going to move on ahead, but I am not going with you. Because of their sinfulness, because of Israel's sinfulness, because of their complaining, because of their idolatry, because of their hearts being hard. And and God said, told them that you are a stiff-necked people. And the reality was starting to set in that they could be successful without God's presence. This concerned them. This terrified them. And Moses and the people set to pray and to wait on God. I like what John Piper had to say in response to this passage. He said this, The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? It's quite a statement. For Moses... For the Israelites, the answer was absolutely not. How about for us? Are we willing to settle for the appearance of success, but settle for God's God's presence not being in our lives? Or have we been so deceived? Have we been so lured, so fractured by the idolatry, the materialism, our own personal accomplishments, our own comforts, that what I just read, what John Piper had written here, almost sounds attractive to you. And you think, hmm, that sounds like it might not be too bad. I noticed, as you you noticed, I said a little bit earlier, the appearance of success. Because you know what? Even your wealth, great accomplishments, the following of people you have, the reputation that perhaps people like you, that, or maybe it's that you have a loving and a good family or you have great friends. You can have all these marks and all these signs that society tells us is a mark of success. If God is not at the center of it all, it's empty. It's an illusion. Oh, there might be fun and some spills and some thrills for a while, 
but the fun fades. And even in the midst of the fun, there is this emptiness. You see, we are all innately, every one of us, we have been hardwired. It's in our DNA, this longing for transcendence. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has put eternity into the hearts of man. And this longing, this desire, can only be satisfied in God. Nothing else. No other pursuits. No person. No amount of money. No amount of fame. No amount of influence will ever satisfy that longing and that desire. I love this picture. This is probably over the years that I've been preaching. I don't know how many times I've used I absolutely love this picture because this just describes, it's stunning to me, that there is this hole in every human heart that only Christ can fill. And we try to fill that chasm, we try to fill that void with all kinds of things, but only Christ can fill that. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We can search. We can try. And this goes not just for people in North America. This is around the world. This is, every, this is the billions upon billions of people on this planet. Our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in God. You know, it was about 12 years ago, I think it was now, uh, we were in ministry in Alberta. All the marks of success. We had finished a major building project. There were conversions and baptisms and discipleship and prayer, and now we are plotting the new future of what we are going to do, the next kind of hill country we would take. We had a good staff team, and, and for us personally as a family, things were going well with Charlotte's job, the kids' school. They were actually in a Christian school, in a public school environment. It was just crazy how that all came together. We had just moved into a new house with a sweet, huge yard that we get, uh, had uh, excitement about being able to develop. And, and one day I was at home alone, and I was working on my sermon for that week. And while I was working on that, God just met me. I had this meltdown. And these words kept going through my head over and over again. And it was, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I walked around the house and I yelled like I am now, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I got in my vehicle and I drove to the church office where there was meetings and different things going on. I went into one of the meeting rooms where some of the staff and some volunteers were meeting. And I went and I took a, a marker and I wrote on the whiteboard. I said, it doesn't work. I went to some of the people in their, in their offices and I said, it doesn't work. And, and some of them were getting a little alarmed, and some of them were thinking, do we need to phone the district superintendent and say, Meldon's, it's finally happened, he's gone crazy, there's something not right with him. I had a nice glass door in my nice new office, and I took a marker and I wrote across on the marker, or on the, on the glass window, and I, I said, it doesn't work. And I called people together, and I said, folks, if our hearts are not right with God, it doesn't work, we can do all of this, we can look at the next accomplishments that we want to go after. We can look at all that God has done. But if God is not with us, if our hearts are not right with him, if we're not centered with him, it doesn't work. And it sent us on a journey of searching after God's heart. You know, Moses and the Israelites understood the truth of this reality. And they weren't going to settle for success without presence because they knew it wouldn't work. They were like, God, we would rather stay here in the wilderness with you than enter into the promised land without you. Oh, I pray that there would be a holy discontent 
for not settling for success without presence, without the presence of God in our lives. And here in Exodus, we see three types of praying that was going on. And the first one we see in Exodus 32, and, and, and the verses are listed there, and I encourage you to write those down. It goes into verses 12, 11, 12, 13, and you can even write down number, uh, Exodus, Exodus 32, verse 32. And, and these are verses where a, a prayer for pardon, a prayer for confession. Moses was crying out to God on behalf of the people. And asking God's forgiveness because of the golden calf issues, because of their stubbornness, because of their complaining, because of the way that they are just like, never happy. And, and, and he's asking God to forgive them, and God's anger burned at their idolatry over their complaining, over their stiff neckedness. Now, I don't know if that's a word or not, but it is today. Their stiff neckedness, I'll put that in the dictionary, and, 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 and so here they are praying, or Moses is praying, he's praying for pardon, he's praying prayers of confession. And this is an a very important type of prayer that we must all do daily, isn't it? Because we all sin daily. Not a day that goes by, and I think I'm in pretty good company. Now, I know there's not a lot around here right now, and I, but I'm looking at you, and I think I'm in pretty good company with you that, that we all need to confess daily, don't we? Because we all sin in various ways, whether it's in word, in thought, in deed, in actions of pride, of arrogance, of sins of omission, sins of commission, sins just, just throughout the day of just, just, being, just, just having the wrong heart, the wrong attitude, so many different ways that we sin. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the cross, for Jesus and for, and, and for 1 John 1, 9 that says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just and He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have to fall on that truth daily. And so prayers of confession, prayers of pardon are so important. And remember that, that for Israel, there were consequences for sin. Just as even for us, there are consequences for our sin. Yes, there's forgiveness, but there's consequences. And in Exodus, we see that some of the people who were rebellious and wouldn't repent, they died. There were many that died on that day. But God did not destroy them as a nation, even though he wanted to and was threatening to do it. Instead, because of the prayers of Moses, he forgave and he relented. But he did say, the consequences is I'm not going to go with you. But you see, God desires. He desires more than this first level of prayer, prayers of pardon or confession. He desires more than, than being basically like a, a divine parole officer that we have to check in with on a regular basis, daily, and, 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 and inform him as a parole officer of what we've done and, and, and ask for forgiveness. He wants to be more than that. George MacDonald, the guy who had a great influence on C.S. Lewis, he, he said this, Hunger may drive a runaway child home, but he needs his mother more than he needs his dinner. And then he went on to say, and look at this, it's on the screen, Communion with God is the need of the soul beyond all other needs. And, and notice now, prayer is the beginning, not the end, but the beginning of that communion. It's a need that we have. It's how that void gets filled in our lives. 
There's something further, something deeper that was happening inside the tent. Those prayers of confession were actually hap- not happening within the tent. As far as we know, the, the, this next level of prayer that we see was taking place within the tent. And we see the second one, prayer for God's presence. Prayer for God's presence, that God would be with them. Not prayer for presents, like the gifts we get at Christmas or at our birthday. Look what it says in verse 12. You can follow along. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Moses just isn't praying for himself. He's praying for the people. And notice that his prayer was not about methodology. It wasn't a plea for God's hand. It was a plea for God's heart. A plea for God's presence. It wasn't, God, make me stronger, faster, smarter, better, more likable. It wasn't, God, make me successful, make me rich. God, keep my family safe. It wasn't, get me that job. God, help me to ace the test because I didn't study very hard last night. God, help me find the right spouse. God, make my life a little bit easier. Lord, change that person. This wasn't the kind of prayers that he was praying that so oftentimes is where we concentrate so many of our prayers. Those kind of prayers are fine. Some of them. If you didn't study that hard, then you really have no business praying. But remember in Acts chapter 7, it says that Moses had been trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. That he was powerful in speech and in action. He had all the strategies. He had all the tactics. He knew how to deal with trouble. He knew how to deal with difficulties. He he knew how to deal with obstacles. He knew how to deliver the goods, I guess you could say. But now he doesn't want any of that. That's not what he's asking. That's not what he's leaning on. In verse 13, it says, look what it says, teacher, show me your ways that I may know you. God, teach me your ways. Teach me, instill in me your character, your attributes. God, I want you. I need you. He's desiring and praying for an abiding presence. You see, the purpose of Moses' calling, his election, his calling to be the leader of this people, even our purpose in our salvation, in our election, isn't firstly to be and, and, and to do great things for God. That's not what God has saved us for. That's not what he's called us for first and foremost. The first purpose of our calling is to know and to worship God. It is that we would first and foremost be worshipers of him. Look what it says, verse 13. Show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. He's pleading for more favor. And, and in the Old Testament, the word favor is then used in the New Testament in the word grace. He's saying he's pleading for more favor, for more grace based on the favor that God has already shown him. God, you already, you know me by name. You've called me. I have found favor in your sight. But now I need and I want and I desire more, of, more favor from you, more of your grace. Now an angel, like, you know, that's kind of cool. Like if an angel go in there and do all the fighting for us, but we don't want an angel. 
We want, I want your abiding presence in my life. Loved ones, listen. This is why it is so vital that we read, we underline, we write out, we get to know, we get to memorize God's word. And as we come across passages and verses that speak about the attributes of God, his character, his promises that he makes to his children, and then we look at our own lives and we look at God's favor and God's grace, we look at his faithfulness in our lives, perhaps in our families, in our church, and we allow these truths from God's word and his grace and favor that we've already received These all become a springboard for asking and desiring more of God's favor, more of God's grace in our lives as we come with a humble, dependent, thankful, worshiping heart to God. That's what Moses is doing. And and then look what it says in verse 14. God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Mission accomplished. God said yes. But, but I kind of like this here, because Moses wasn't done. Either he didn't hear God, or he just he had this speech ready to go, and God kind of cut him off. I, I don't know exactly when, what went on, and I love that about God's Word, that you can sometimes add some of your own thinking into just perhaps what went on here. But Moses wasn't quite done. Look at as he continues on here in verse 14, and he says, if your presence, or verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. God already just told him, I'm going to come with you. I'll give you a rest. He says, if you're not going to come with us, don't even bring us from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? And I and your, and, and your favor in your sight and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct and I and your people from every other people on the face of this earth? He's talking about a distinct people. You know, in the 1980s, there was some pretty bad, almost, I guess you could say, bland fashion going on. I mean, the music was pretty good in the 1980s, I must admit, but um, it, it, it kind of seemed like basically, at least when I was growing up in my teenage years, all the guys pretty much dressed the same. Same hairstyle, same kind of clothing. Like, we just did not differ very much. We were almost like clones in, in what we did. And, and we, some of you guys who maybe you don't have hair now, but this is the way that, that perhaps you parted your hair and you did your hair back then. Yep, that's, that's me, all of me. Uh, I believe probably grade 9 and I think grade 11. And um, no, I wasn't stung by a bee. Um, my mom said I have a husky build. And, um, and, and anyways, all the guys basically would comb their hair like that, like part down the middle. And, and you guys, some of you might even remember this, and I don't know if I can do this without disrupting things, but it was, you'd have a big comb in your back pocket because you'd all, everyone would wear rugby pants. Remember rugby pants and Adidas running shoes. Anyways, guys would go like this. They'd have their hair parted down. And then remember some of these, you know, sort of movements like this and just getting that really good look, like you get a little dizzy. And, and I remember even hearing about chiropractors being concerned about neck damage and stuff because um, of all the head knocking that was going on. Well, that was in the late 1980s and then into the early 90s, uh, the, the mullets came out and I'm not showing any of those pictures. And then you had the punk rockers and then so on. And it seemed like all of a sudden then, it just, just it was no longer about conformity, but now it was everyone was wanting to be different. Everyone wanted to be distinct. 
And sometimes even now, uh, Charlotte and I will find ourselves just, we enjoy people watching, whether that's at the mall or at a coffee shop downtown. I mean, because it just seems anything and everything goes when it comes to um, hairstyles, colors, tattoos, piercings, the clothing that is, is worn, you're just like, really? And, and it's, yeah, anyways, it, it just kind of, you know, th- there's such a diversity now. But here Moses is saying to God, we don't want to be looking like all the other nations because all the other nations, I mean, all that they would go around and do in those, in those days would just go and they would build up an army, they'd go conquer another area, another nation, another territory, take it over. And he's like, we need something different. We don't want to be like the other nations. We want to be distinct. And it's got to be you that marks us as different and distinct so that you would ultimately get the glory. So that people wouldn't see us, but that they would see you. And it's that familiar verse then that John the Baptist would declare, God, would you increase more and more in our lives? Would we decrease And that's what Moses was declaring here. Oh God, would you mark us? Would you increase? Would people see you? You see, we want people to, 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 around us to come to Christ, don't we? I mean, that that is the mission then that God has given to us. To declare Christ and to see people come to faith around us. And, And we want to make a profound and lasting eternal difference. To impact the, the loved ones in our family that don't know the Lord, to, to have an impact for eternity for our, our co-workers, for our neighbors, for our fellow students, for government officials. And that will, can and only happen if God's abiding presence is in us. That it's not them looking at us, it's seeing Christ being lifted up. They're seeing us reflecting the love and the glory and the strength of God in our lives that comes from spending time in His presence. And people will be drawn to Christ not because of us, not because of our testimony, not because of our words, but ultimately they are drawn because of Christ, because they see Him in us. What did Leona say earlier? That as Christ is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. Not as Melden Lutzer is lifted up. Not as Hope Church is lifted up. It's as Christ is lifted up. Then we are distinct. Then we are different. And then we have a message to declare to those around us. This is how we make a difference, an eternal difference in the lives of people. Where Christ is glorified and we are knowing and walking in His presence. You know, I believe that there comes at times, time in churches, times in our lives that we need to put a big halt on things. In churches, we need to put a halt on programs, and a lot of our programs have been halted because of COVID. But yet, we still, many of us, we haven't halted the busyness. We haven't halted the distractions. And I believe we're coming into a season, we're in this season where we need to halt the plans and we need to wait on God. Next, next Sunday, Lord willing, we will look at the next level of praying, and it's magnificent. It's praying for God's glory. But that one is just so rich and so thick 
I just knew we just didn't have the time to dig into that today, and we need to settle here on God's presence. I believe we need time to be alone with God, to enter the tent of meeting, whether it's here at the church office or some other place that you are able to get to. It will be happening on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. Small groups that you'll be encouraged again to come together at the same time for accountability and community with your small group. And there'll be emails coming out to, uh, to you and, and information further on all of this. But we need to start unlearning the ways and the wisdom of Egypt that we've all been so inundated by, that we've been so trained by. And we need to unlearn that and wait until it gives way to the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Some of the unlearning involves learning to be still. Learning to set aside that time before God. We've got so much busyness, so many distractions, so many excuses. In fact, this week we're going to even encourage you, we're going to have a place kind of cut out, not cut out, but taped out in the carpet uh, at the very back, and it will be a place for your phones. So you don't take your phones and have that distraction. So bring paper Bibles with you. You think, well, I'll lose track of time. Well, we'll have a clock here so, so, so you can just come and you can just spend that time with God. And I said next week, Lord willing, we'll get to that next level of prayer of God's glory. But you see, God knows and we know this even at times in our own lives that only desperate people pray. And God at times will allow us to be squeezed through the troubles and the trials, through the discouragements, through illness, whether it's a financial crisis, whether it's a virus that is running rampant in our world and all, everything flowing with that or, or, or bringing us to a, a place of desperateness as we just see still the outfall of fallout of the election in another country and how we are so affected by that. And God allows us to get to a place of desperation personally or corporately where we say enough, enough is enough. And we allow these desperation, these issues that we're facing to first of all, yes, they get our attention and we take it to God, but the hope God's plan, God's desire is at the end of this coming to God out of desperation because everything that's going on, that it will end with time in God's presence. Hopefully not being occupied by the distresses, but being occupied now in the presence of God. And may we see the desperate state, not just of the world around us, but our, of our own heart, of our own lives. The desperate state in our church, in our churches, in our region, in our nation. And may we plead and pray and pursue God's presence in a greater way in our lives.